This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. So I am joined by Ale Gonzalez. Thank you so much for agreeing to participate in this. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So in the event that people aren't familiar with you, can you give me a 30-second bio just to introduce yourself? Okay, so my name is Ale Gonzalez. I'm from Miami, Florida, and I write for FThisMovie.com, and because of them, I've kind of built these relationships with a bunch of other places, and I've guessed on some podcasts here and there, and it's not a secret, but I love, love, love horror, and I'm super excited about this project. Yes, and you also occasionally participate in Grimm Magazine. That's how we know each other, Yes, too. I do. Actually, I have Grimm to thank for my very first physical publication. It's always so exciting to see your name in an actual print publication, isn't it? When I held the first issue in my hands and I saw my name, I was like, this is so crazy. It's really, really amazing. And I really love the work that they do. It's true. Valeska and CC are doing great things. Incredible, yes. Actually, it's exciting to think that we'll actually have a new issue of Grimm by the time that this episode drops. Yes, and everyone should definitely go pick that up. (laughs) Yeah, secret plug, secret plug. (laughs) (laughs) so you mentioned that you're a huge horror fan where did it all begin for you how did it start Ooh, i'll be completely honest i've always been a fan of you know halloween and things like that but not horror movies until maybe i hit 15 or 16 i was actually super freaked out by them Mm. because my dad showed me the ring when i was just super young and i was like totally turned off to it (laughs) But then I saw Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which lacks the jump scares that The Ring has, and it really, really moved me in a way that I didn't think horror could do before. And so since then, I've kind of found many things that are similar to that, and I've just fallen completely in love with how visceral the experience of horror can be. Mm. So what other kinds of movies did you end up tracking down after you realized that The Shining was a bit more of your beat? Hmm. So I saw The Shining, then I saw things like, you know, the classics, because as soon as I fell in love with The Shining, which was a classic, I was like, Google, classic horror films. And so I saw things like The Exorcist, which I loved. I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I didn't think I would like because it's a little bit more accelerated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But how could somebody not love that movie? You know, and then once I started watching more movies like Texas Chainsaw, I noticed that I really felt a connection to the women in the movie and so I started delving into slasher films because I noticed that those were being led more by women like Scream I completely fell in love with those Craven and that's kind of the path that I took mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting to follow the almost to chart how horror has changed over the years and it's interesting yes. that you didn't resonate with the ring early on and then you ended up sort of finding your way back into some of the more quote-unquote jump-scare traditional horror means from the 80s and beyond. Right. I really do think that a lot of that had to do with my age when I rediscovered horror. I was, you know, an adolescent and I was kind of growing into my femininity and stuff. And so those slashers that were led by women really resonated with me no matter how many jump-scares there were in it. And also I was older, so I wasn't going to be scared of like 
a woman coming out of a well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slashers are, are an interesting beast for that because they have so much female empowerment to offer, but then I think rightfully so, they can be labeled misogynistic. I feel like slasher films, that subgenre has probably the most research applied to it because of that and because of like feminist theory that you can kind of argue with those movies. And it's interesting to see how the slasher genre itself has developed into something that's completely more empowering than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this, especially the second wave, there's a really good book by Alex West where she goes into a lot of depth around the 90s cycle of well, she calls them teen horror films, but obviously quite a few of them are slasher films. And just right. how they really revert away from masculine anti-heroes who are like murdering young women and more toward the female survivor story. Right. Yes, that was great, by the way. I really appreciate her. I follow her on Twitter. She's amazing. Yes, it's true. Okay, so we've talked about how you got started in your horror watching career, but how did you actually get into writing about it? Oh, God, this is gonna make me sound like such a bad writer. <laughs> but I started listening to a lot of podcasts around 2016. I've only really been writing since 2016. And one of the podcasts that I religiously listened to of this movie, they were looking for more representation in their kind of like roster of writers. And so they reached out to me and I was nervous at first and I was gonna be like, no, I can't do this. But I said yes. And I am so glad that I did. At first, I was definitely strictly horror, but I like to write about other things too. Well, yeah, because you you have a couple of podcasts that you contribute to, and one of them is dedicated to sequels, right? Yes, yes it is. I don't know how that came about, but I really am passionate about direct-to-video sequels because growing up, I watched a lot of those, like Lion King 2 or like Mulan 2. Everyone makes fun of me for this, but <laughs> I like really, I really like dirty, like, grimy horror, but I also love Disney movies passionately. Passionately. I'm multifaceted, what can I say? It's true, and don't apologize for that. <laughs> but yeah, I do find that writing about horror is more gratifying to me than writing about anything else. Whenever people give the genre flack, I always just feel like directing them to a bunch of different people's writings, and in particular, female horror film critics, because I think that they're doing the best work right now. But as you said, with the work around slasher films in particular, there's honestly just so much great work that's coming out. And the genre, it's really deep in that regard. Like, there's a lot that you can unpack, there's a lot to talk about, there's conversation to be had around a lot of these films. Yeah, and I mean, like, it's just interesting to see something that a broad amount of people see as one way be described as something else. I think we're doing the world a service by trying to, I don't want to say normalize, because it is normal to love horror movies. Mm -hmm. It is. There's, like, this wave on Twitter and online where some outlets are arguing that people are not empathetic who love horror or, oh like... <laughs> something ridiculous like that but it's completely normal it's been the most tightly knit genre community since it blossomed i feel like you know what i mean mm -hmm. and it's only getting stronger and i like that the writing that is being put out there is normalizing it more for the general public that seems to be where the divide is there's those of us who consider ourselves 
fans. And it's great to be able to connect and share our different stories and even our writing. And then there's the people who are somewhere in the middle and they're not really sure, but they can be persuaded, which is where the I think the horror criticism can be really helpful. And then there's the people who, you know, publish those kinds of stories where <laughs> they talk about how we lack empathy and we're more likely to murder people. <laughs> and it's like, um, <laughs> there's actually scientific studies that prove the opposite of that. But, you know, don't don't worry, just go for that clickbait title. Sure. Yes. And I know that like, that's why I refuse to ever give those articles or those stupid Uber facts tweets any attention because they're monetizing off of that no matter what you're saying, you know? And they know that, because they know that the horror community is massive and is very, very passionate yeah. enough to argue against whatever they're saying. Yeah. The passion is, it's so empowering. It's so lovely. I know, I love it. And like, I know there are like sci-fi cons and, you know, super cons and stuff like that, but there's, I feel like there's an even bigger abundance of horror conventions. Mm -hmm. And it really, really strengthens the community even more. It's really beautiful, it really is. Yeah. So speaking of one such initiative, so one of the reasons that we're having this conversation in advance of February is because it's Women in Horror Month. So it's yes, it the, is. the month dedicated to ladies in horror. <laughs> so what does the month mean to you? Um, to me, the month is about celebrating how diverse horror is. Because, again, I know they're like, women director who are directing non-horror films, but the amount of women in horror is actually astounding. Mm -hmm. It's truly astounding, and I think it's such a genre that has these qualities that are not stereotypically considered to be feminine. So I think, like, reclaiming that and being like, yeah, I'm a woman and I like this shit, I think that's really awesome. And thinking about the different types of things that cause fear and concern in, in different types of people, like, I don't want to say that you can spot a female horror-directed film or one that's written by a woman, but there are often very noticeable things where you're saying, you know what, this seems more intuitive, more introspective. I find often the characters are a little bit more fully realized, like obviously the point of view, like particularly in the framing and the shooting is usually a little bit more evident, but. Yeah, and it's like int more intimate. I totally know what you mean. And also it's interesting that you say that because I think that horror as kind of like a shorthand for social issues that are important to us mm -hmm. is happening more now than ever with things like Get Out. And I think that if women can use horror that way to make a statement, then it helps all of us. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And the different types of films that people have been talking about just in this podcast series alone reinforces to me that the films that are either featuring female directors, female writers, or that are featuring like really strong, interesting female characters are also the ones that are really resonating, particularly in the last couple of years. Yes, I was going to say that I didn't want to say like, oh, only women can talk, can make a horror movie about the fears that women have because the movie we're covering today, which I'm not going to spoil yet, is directed by a dude. And I think that it is probably the most, I mean, to me, I don't want anyone to come for me, but <laughs> to me, it's probably one of the most perfect examples of fear of the woman that exists. Mm -hmm. But it's also, yeah, okay, well, <laughs> we'll put a pin in that just for a second <laughs> until we get to it. Okay, before we get there, as a woman, as a person of color, what are your thoughts about the contemporary horror genre? 
I think the only thing that I want to say is that I hope nobody has ever stopped from creating something horror-centric because they think that their demographic would not do well or would not be received well in the community. I know one of my biggest things is I feel like there are websites specific for women of color writing, but I don't see like very many men of color writing critically mm-hmm. about horror, at least not in the community that I'm a part of on Twitter. And even less Latino men and women. So I feel like if you have something to say, whether it be with the medium of film or with the medium of writing, and you're passionate about horror, you should go for it. Because horror is very inclusive and it's only getting better. And I think you made a good point. You know, it's sometimes unfortunate that what needs to happen to move the conversation along is to have some kind of big milestone so something like get out right it's such an amazing film and it was received so well that it has opened the doors for different types of filmmakers and obviously as a result different types of writing because people have now said like oh well you know get out it's the first black horror film or it's the first successful black horror film and you're like oh jesus christ no here let me educate you <laughs> on the yes. centuries worth but I think you're right. I think there's always room for more diversity. And I, like, to me, I'm just always like, there's plenty of, of straight white men. There's a lot of good work being done by them. So but I would love to hear, as you said, like, I'd love to hear more Hispanic voices. I'd love to hear more Asian voices, like, I'd, yes. more trans voices. I really just want to hear from all different types of people because they've all got different types of perspectives that they're going to bring in to these texts and I want to hear them. Which is why I appreciate Grimm and Anatomy of a Scream because they work to elevate those voices very, very hard. And I know that they like go out of their way to give a voice to people who might not be as well represented in the community. Mm-hmm. So part of the mandate. Yes, That's a great mandate. Yes. It's perfect. And I think that more outlets should follow in those footsteps. And apparently, like, F this movie, right? Like, they reached out to you because they saw value in your voice. Yes, absolutely. And I'm so grateful for that. They care about their women. F this movie makes it feel really, really legitimate because I've had this conversation many a time also where it's like these outlets are always preaching, like, yeah, we give women a platform, we elevate women, but how many women are on your permanent payroll and how many women are on your board of editors or something? Mm Mm-hmm. The putting that's important too. the money where the mouth is. Exactly. That's important too. It's not just who you have writing for you. It's who you have as part of your permanent team, not just, you know, pitching you stories here and there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you said you've really been getting into writing about horror since 2016, but that you also like the, the gritty, dirty horror. <laughs> Do you have any films, either new or old ones that you've rediscovered films that you think people should be checking out apart from this main one that we're going to discuss ever so briefly Ooh, wow that's a loaded question it is it, it, everyone always kind of stumbles over it they're like i'll give you like one or two and then <laughs> i just don't want to forget any i will say this definitely <laughs> this is going to be so shameless but everyone who knows me knows i am like shameless about my love for suspiria so if you have not seen the remake and i use that term very broadly mm-hmm. Definitely check that out because I think that has a lot to say about womanhood too. Yes. And it's another example of a film that it feels empowering and it feels true and real and honest. Mm-hmm. So I would say Suspiria, the new one. I would say Scream 2. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Scream 2 is actually my favorite in the series. I think it's... Me too. Perfect. I think it's so well done. 
It's the perfect and sequel. And I feel like she has more autonomy in that one. So I definitely suggest Scream 2. And I'm going to do one more just because, you know, three times a charm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let's do your next. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I love yes. a good meta horror. Yes. Honestly, I didn't think I was going to like it because I thought it was a little bit gimmicky from the trailer and from like the way it was being marketed, but it blew me out of the water. Yeah. And if you're talking about interesting, empowered, but also not ridiculously fake action heroine, that film has a great final girl. Absolutely. And I was going to say, actually, I kind of, well, I guess this is not the topic for this podcast, (laughs) but I feel like strange about some revenge movies because they do do that thing where it's like, this is really hyperbolized the action and like the final girl aspect of it it makes it feel unattainable Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it's more difficult to identify with that to me anyway i know people find a lot of they find it therapeutic to watch things like that but to me i like a more a slightly more grounded yeah absolutely yeah so turning turning the attention away from your three and to the main event so february is (laughs) also valentine's day the month of love And I asked you to pick a film that you love, that you wanted to talk about, and you picked The Witch. I picked The Witch. Witch. I did. Oh my god, I could talk about this movie for hours. And you got such a, like, a groundswell of love when you mentioned that you were revisiting this film on Twitter, so. It was the most general tweet. I was like, The Witch is one of my favorite movies ever. And it got like 700 favorites. People were talking to me about it and hardly anything bad. So I was very surprised. Okay. So tell me, what is it about the film that you love so much? You alluded to the fact that it's directed by men, it's written by men, but it's very, very feminist. Yes. Okay. That's a loaded question. It is. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) So first and foremost, I want to say that as far as like filmmaking goes and like the art of it, I think this film is stunningly done. Oh, yeah. Every aspect is very well-developed. I think the characters are well-developed. Every single last one of them, even the twins, even Black Phillip, for crying out loud. I think the score is so insanely powerful, but so subdued at the same time. It's really amazing. I think it looks great. People were telling me that they wish this was in black and white because it would make them think of Huxan, which is like another one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just think it's meticulously done and it's stunning. But I also love... God, it's like, how do I put this? I don't even know how to put this. It's like the hysteria building in it Mm -hmm. is perfect. It comes to like a crescendo. First, it's like a slow burner, which I honestly hate that phrase because people use it to justify something that could potentially be boring. But this is never boring. This is always like something is awry here. Something is spooky and eerie. And it's not afraid of letting you know that from the get-go when you see a witch like bathe in baby's blood, Mm -hmm. you know? But I think it's interesting that despite that literal witch, the whole point is that they accuse her of being one because of a man's failures. Oh, yeah. Like her father (laughs) is just flat out stupid. Like it's his fault that they're in this predicament. But all of the shame and all the blaming ends up falling on Thomason. Exactly. And so he knows that he's failing. And so he feels like that's taking away his masculinity and his ability to care for his family. So who better to blame than the oldest daughter who is coming into her womanhood? Which is threatening in itself. Exactly. Exactly. So I think the way that the movie uses the situation that they're in to kind of represent 
what it's like for men to be so close to a woman who is evolving and changing and the fear that that incites is really, really powerful. What do you make of the relationship between Thomason and her mother? Because that was one of the pieces that always struck me, like the fact that her mother doesn't support her and also ends up blaming her. I mean, I know it's a period piece, so that's a little bit more conventional for the times, but it always made me mad. (laughs) I think that that's interesting. I always wonder about that, too. It's one of the things that I was actually thinking about on my rewatch for this podcast. But I think it's supposed to represent, like, this older generation because she's in one generation before her, I feel like they have this internalized misogyny that is extremely toxic and damaging Mm. to the younger generation. And I feel like that hasn't really changed. And I feel like it's true to the period. And it's also still true to now. I think it's, it's very relevant still. It's disappointingly, I mean, both the parents and the way that they react to Thomas and it's, it feels far too topical. It's just so powerful. And then a lot of the times that we see these hysterical outbursts from the parents happen when Thomason speaks up for herself and when she even shows a shred of autonomy. Mm-hmm. Like when um, she confronts him at the end and she's like, you're lying, you're a liar. And he just has had it. I think it really is interesting. And I think, ugh, I just want to watch it already again. And I saw it like <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> So I'm, I'm always hesitant to bring up the dreaded term in horror that I hate so much, which is elevated horror. Oh, God. <laughs> Every time I bring it up, we all, we all just like groan on mass. But it's interesting to me that, as you've said, the film is so well regarded, but it does have that weird touch of prestige to it. Like, I wonder if that's one of the reasons why people, why it's kind of heralded as a modern classic is because it's so well done. That's a really good point. I feel like people have this conception of what horror can and can't be. And so that's why they think that something that is this well done can not possibly be horror because horror is supposed to be trashy, like killer clowns from outer space. Which has its place. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And that's something I love about horror. Even a bad horror movie is a good horror movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? 100%. So (laughs) I feel like people that see something that is like so polished because this is an extremely polished film oh yeah something so polished also like get out also like us is going to be they kind of make that synonymous with something that is prestigious and can be critically acclaimed and so therefore it can't be horror which is a bummer which is ridiculous right because you look at this film there's babies being kidnapped and eaten. There's a goat <laughs> impaling a man. There's a woman's breast being picked at by a oh, raven. God, it's, a... And then, of course, there's the, the final shot, which I just love. Oh, like, if nothing else, I feel like people can disregard the supernatural components of the film. But then when Black Phillip, you know, starts talking about living deliciously, and when Thomason begins ascending, <laughs> oh, that gorgeous final shot, it just... It's so evocative. And I think that the film does something really intelligent by making the rest of the film so like cool-toned. And then finally, when she is liberating herself, it's warm and it's more inviting. And even just like the shedding of puritanical robes and it's like women of different body shapes and ages and they're, yes. you know, they're, they're naked and celebrating each other. And there are so many people who walked out of that film and I think were like, maybe I should become a witch? Maybe I should join a coven? Like, it doesn't look that bad. I mean, you get to eat butter, you get to fly, like, everybody seems nice. You got a pet goat? Yeah. Yes. 
Oh, also, I just noticed this the last time, too, which is beyond me. And that's something I also love about the movie. Like, every time you can read it a certain way. But the animals start to, instead of produce goods for the family to consume, it's blood, right? Mm -hmm. And so when she gets an egg from the chicken, I guess, or I don't know what it was, but I know it was an egg. And it's, like, bloody. I kind of, maybe I'm reaching... But I was like, oh my god, menstrual blood. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. Oh, that is that is not a reach. Okay, good. I was like, am I reaching? Am I trying to make this more feminist than it really is? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Because you're you're right. The whole film is really about Thomason asserting her agency, but also coming into her own as a burgeoning woman and her parents and being threatened Thomason by it. And it's always Thomason who finds the blood. Like when she milks the goat, I think there's blood it's always her who finds the blood so i feel like it does have something to do with her like mm-hmm. becoming a woman and i did air quotes there because what the hell <laughs> because it's both true but also <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it also kind of like is like oh my god the family's losing their shit because they don't have food and the reason they don't have food is because now the animals are like sick because they're producing blood mm-hmm. and so it's like oh my god the family's failure is all Thomason's fault. If only she hadn't become a woman, they all would have been I saved. Know. Yes, yes, that is true. <laughs> the fear of woman embodied. It's, oh God, it's so powerful. It's just, I don't know. I also tweeted this. There is nothing I would change about this movie, and that's rare. I mean, it's got such a deliberate sense of pacing, the character work is so strong, and the the escalation of dread is really well staggered, and then when you hit that tipping point near the end, it's just full barrel steam ahead. And it's like, actually genuinely shocking. And I don't know how much of that has to do with the fact that the rest of the film was kind of slow. Slowly paced, not slow, let me take that back. Deliberately paced. (laughs) Yes, deliberately paced, love that. But that finale left me completely speechless, which is not easy to do. It's just so rare, too, to actually see a movie end with the complete and utter destruction of a nuclear family and an embrace of darkness. If you choose to believe the witches as evil or darkness, but that is not the ending I thought the film was going to have. It plays like a tragedy, but it doesn't seem like it's going to end with her embracing a coven of witches and flying away. That's actually a really good point, because it does play like a tragedy, but the ending is not tragic Mm-mm. at all. Like, one of the last shots is her, like, smiling when she realizes, like, she's free now. She's, like, liberated. Yeah, she's found her new family, her better family. Exactly. And not gonna lie, when I was watching it yesterday, I was like, damn, this is really, really sad. And, like, the mom is losing it because she's losing all her children as a result of the father. Yeah. You can really clearly see how the shortcomings of the head of the family, also air-quoted, affects the women beneath him. Oh, 100%. He's the villain of the movie. But it's really easy for people to be like, oh no, like, Thomason should have been watching the baby closer, and, you know, oh, she should have told the truth. And you're just like, uh, he's the one who got them kicked out of the colony, he moved them to the edge of the frickin' woods where they had no resources, (laughs) and then he stole the cup and lied to his wife, like... It's a string of various things where the dad is an impotent jerk. And like to make himself feel better, he resorts to the most masculine pastime that there is. And every time he's stressed, he goes to chop 
wood. Oh my god, it's almost comical. Which is not useful to the family. <laughs> it's so funny because like, it's not useful. No. But he is like, I need to do something manly right now. Like he needs to exert his masculinity by doing something he believes might help the family. Yeah. Wield that phallic object like a big dick. <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is another like small detail that is it would have just gone unnoticed without that context mm -hmm. that the movie provides so well. It's a gorgeous film. I'm so happy that you picked it because it forced me to revisit it. Like I'll confess, I hadn't really thought too much about it outside of what are some of the, the best made horror films of the last couple of years. Cause I feel like it's a hundred percent on that list, A hundred percent. but I hadn't thought about it in a while. So I'm so happy that we've had the chance to talk about it. I know me too. I honestly, there are times, like, periods of time where I'm just, like, not thinking about The Witch at all because there's, again, so many amazing things happening in horror. But whenever I do think about it, I'm like, damn, that is, like, quintessential. And it's going to be a classic maybe, like, 50 years from now. It's a classic it's now. It's a classic now, yeah. <laughs> That's why you're talking about it. Exactly. So if you haven't seen The Witch because you think it's not your thing, you're not into period pieces, you think they sound funny when they talk forget it watch it because i don't like period pieces very much and i completely fell in love with this it's an unconventional film but it's a film that's definitely worthy of being sought out and being screened god i would pay to watch i didn't watch this on the big screen <gasps> by the way so <gasps> yes i did yes and it was <sighs> not gonna lie the the sound design in a big theater too really good it's so subdued but so powerful i still don't i can't wrap my mind around it Okay, so if people want to keep up with you, they want to get access to your writing, your podcast, how should they seek you out on the internet? So on Twitter, I'm there quite a lot. You can find me at sick underscore underscore six six. So that's two underscores. Or you can just look up the Blair bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find my writing at fthismovie.com. I write at the Daily Grindhouse. And I have a podcast called Sequels. That's S-E-E-Q-U-E-L-S, which is on iTunes and Spotify. Excellent. Well, thanks again for agreeing to do this. Thank you for having me and thinking of me when you were working this up. Nice. Okay. Squad.